Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, you know, life's getting a little more exciting now. I mean, life's getting a little more back to normal. A little bit. Yeah, we got we got fall weather. I think it's getting ready to getting ready to get out of the nineties. Anticipating, I'm, yes. I'm anticipating that. Not quite yet, but maybe in about a week, you know, I'm looking at the weather channel. Looks like it's gonna be cooling down. We're gonna see some sixties at night and then we'll you know, we got some some of we're getting back to normal with some events. Like we got a, golf a little tournament. golf tournament yeah. coming up here that you know, charity tournament we're gonna play in. Not too long. And, yeah, that's uh, exciting. And I got some g- breaking news here. What's that? I have taken my first golf lesson in like the last ten years. No way. I am, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it this time. You I'm should. Gonna, I'm gonna you do, should, man. You I'm got gonna, potential. I'm gonna try to do it every week. And uh, the first golf lesson has really really messed me up. I'll have to say, I went out to the range and I couldn't hit anything. It's so. supposed to. It's supposed to. If <laughs> it didn't it me- if it didn't mess you up, they haven't done a good job. Okay, well it okay? did. So, I mean, uh, but I'm gotta, sticking with it. Totally change. You should. You should. Because I mean, you 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 got a lot of potential there. You're a big guy, man. I mean, you could <laughs> should be able to hit it. Further, you could right? do a lot. I yeah, just want to hit it straight. That's all. All right. Well, that's that's doable. So anyway, I'm excited. It's doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm excited for you. That's good news. <laughs> I like to hear that. And speaking of good news, you know, we have some fun things to talk about here with the stock market. Um, you know, we're going to talk about um, kind of the epic stock rotation, John. Um. There is the potential for a big rotation in the stock market, and this doesn't happen very often. This is like an every 10-year event in the stock market where you have a big rotation out of one asset class into another, and there's some indication. we got a good article here out of Forbes um, talking about potential for a, a big change in stocks. Yeah, we'll uh, look forward to that, and then we're going to look at uh, risk. And, you know, a lot of times people look at the markets and they only look at one type of risk, and that's... Uh, downside risk and, 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 you know, volatility and so forth. But, you know, there's a lot of different types of risk out there. We're going to go through and define that. And, you know, if you've never um, thought about this topic, we haven't really covered this too much. Uh, it's really interesting, different way of looking at it. There's really risk in, in everything that you invest in. If it's in cash, there's risk with that. It's called That's inflation right. risk, right? So uh, this is a good, really good discussion of risk and uh, ways to look at it and ways to, uh, you know, take care of it as well. And it's very important to know all the types of risk that you need to pay attention to. So great topic there. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years of experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen to it from your uh, from your laptop or you, know, you can download it onto uh, iTunes or whatever app you're using out there. But the website has a lot of really good information out there videos we have calculators and so forth so go check that out and we also have a facebook page it's money md and we uh, post a weekly prescription of the week out there so those are sometimes more entertaining than others but uh, there's good information <laughs> that's right yeah and we'd love to hear from you you can link to us there on our website send us your questions we'll talk about those here on the show um but yeah we'd love to love to have your feedback um, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the American Hospital Association. And Steve, I think one of the surprising things um, about the pandemic was how the 
hospital community was impacted. I mean, yeah, it was surprising. It, you know, you would have thought they would have done well. Yeah, they were. You know, elective procedures were were put off, and and I, I knew people in the medical community that that were furloughed uh, during a pandemic. Yeah. You know, well, my daughter's one of them actually. You yeah. know, in Greenville, she was furloughed a day a week because. Like you said, they were they they had a huge cash crunch. All their elective procedures were put off, and yeah, they were the Greenville health systems were, yeah. you know, according to her, were were vastly hurt. Yeah, and it really impacted their their revenue. So between um, March the first and June the thirtieth, uh, which is um, uh, it's four months, American hospitals lost fifty one billion with a B per month in revenue due to the canceled and foregone medical services. So, wow. wow, those are big numbers, and it certainly has impacted a lot of folks. And I think most places, elective surgeries have started back up. But, yeah, you know, it just it just goes to show you, you just don't know. Um, that's why we always preach, have emergency funds right. to protect you during these crazy times because no one predicted. I don't think anybody could have come up with a scenario on hospitals not operating. Yeah, and the hospitals getting hurt through this. You would have thought they would have been helped by all the COVID treatments yep. they were doing, you know, but in fact, all these foregone medical procedures hurt them. Although I don't think those are going away. I think they are coming back, and, yeah. and these are things that people are going to do anyway eventually. It's not like, you know, you're not eating a restaurant. Well, you're you're never you're never going to go eat that meal again. That's right. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, Unless you go <laughs> twice as much. <laughs> true, true, which we've been known to do. Yeah. So anyway, good fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the epic stock rotation again, John. Um, yeah, I mean, most people can't remember whenever this happened last time, but this is an arc out of Forbes very recently, um, Oliver Rednick and... But, John, you know, last time we had a major stock rotation was about 18 years ago, um, 2002, August 2002, when we were about to enter a big recovery from the 9-11 bear market, and large growth stocks had been dominating the markets back then. Um, and it we and we had a rotation out of that asset class. But before we go into those details, um, let me uh, just kind of define what we mean by growth and value stocks. Um, growth stocks are the ones that tend to be very popular that have done very well in recent years and are now very expensive relative to their earnings. Um, on the other hand, value stocks are the ones that are companies that haven't done well recently. They tend to be cheap compared to their earnings. And those are the ones that are out of favor but are selling for a bargain when you buy them. So that's value. Growth is the other, other side of the coin, the things that are just very, very popular and expensive today. Well, if you go back 20 years ago, large growth stocks had had an amazing five-year run from 1995 through 2000, more than doubling while a lot of the market was left behind, similar to where we are today, quite frankly. Um, you know, markets um, then, though, in 2000 went through a, the ringer, as you might remember, um, you know, then we had the second half of, through the second half of 2002, markets were way down, but they had begun recovering. And everyone was expecting big tech companies, big growth companies to resume their leadership back in the market back then. And, um, you know, kind of lead the next bull market that started. Um, however, that didn't happen. Instead, there was this epic, epic stock rotation out of growth and technology into other stocks. Yeah, and today you don't have to be a sophisticated market disciple to uh, to be familiar with the never-ending story about large growth stocks. It's certainly in the news on a daily basis, and it's one of the, the most 
you know, stark trends in the markets today, and it's really a temptation for the average investor to chase returns. And to be honest, there's really not much left to be said about it. I mean, growth has done very, very well. Um, and until it flips uh, and value starts to lead, then then that'll be the the new topic of discussion. And no one knows if and when this is going to happen. But you know, that brings us to kind of where we are today, because the investing environment right now is primed uh, for a change with early signs that it could be in the works. Um, however, this story has been been talked about before as growth stocks uh, really have dominated markets for the last 10 years. And uh, so you got to be careful of chasing past returns. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, and we've had some false starts before with this rotation. It's been about four years since we saw value stocks make a run at really taking over the leadership. Um, 2016, it was in the wake of kind of the silent recession, as they called it, um, which was eight months um, as the Chinese economy slowed down. Oil stocks crashed. Oil, oil prices crashed. Corporate earnings kind of went in comatose there for a while. And from July um, to November 2016, value gained about 19 percent while growth dropped 2%. Um, the 10-year yield rose uh, steadily rose and then spiked after the U.S. election um, for interest rates. So, you know, there was this simple connection then, though, between then and now, though, and that is recovery. We were in a recovery mode. You know, value stocks, um, their kind of only notable outperformance happened in recovery from those that mini-recession back then. Um, and it's kind of like it did whenever it came out of the tech crash back in the 9-11 bear market um, where it was in a recovery when, when the, we saw this big rotation. So today it kind of follows that the outperformance could even be stronger today because we're, we're coming out of a major recession and we're in a significant recovery here. Interest rates, though, are seemingly kind of a hang up this time around. I mean, the Fed has pinned interest rates at zero right now. We don't know when that's going to change, um, but that's something that's a little bit different than it was back then. But the valuation disparity between growth and value is even more egregious now. Um, you know, you have with the quarantine, fast forwarding the expectations for tech companies, you know, people just have this extraordinary expectation about what growth companies are going to do. And they have them valued very, very expensively as a result. So, but the years following that underperformance and collapse in valuations back in, in, uh, in, in March, um, you know, that appears to be poised for kind of a, a big turnaround this time around as well. Yeah. So pr proponents of value investing, they've been predicting this rotation from growth for, for a number of years. So why should investors believe now is the time it's going to rotate. And uh, history shows this has been the case before. If you go all the way back in to 1937, and what's the spread between dividend yields on small cap value and large cap stocks widened significantly. In each prior case, small cap value subsequently outperformed large caps, often for several years and by a very uh, wide margin. So in mid-March, that spread between the Russell 2000 value index and the S&P 500 index was the widest it had been since the 2008 global financial crisis. And historically, this has suggested an attractive entry point into small cap value. Now, obviously, no one knows, um, but uh, there's there's definitely a big uh, valuation gap right now. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, another thing to consider is correlations, because in normal times, small and large cap stocks tend to perform very similarly. 
they have very high correlation. It's like 0.8, you know, is, is the correlation, which is one would be perfect correlation. So that's very high between the Russell 2000 and the S&P 500. However, you know, there are critical moments in market history where those indexes have diverged and, you know, you have underperformance of some one asset class while the other one sometimes does very well. Um, and it's often during the sell-offs. You know, small value stocks are hardest hit during sell-offs whenever you have a market uh, drop like it did back in March. Um, and, you know, you have this this big difference in correlations during that time. Um, and another thing, though, is the yields. Um, you know, there's there's uh, uh, during those times you see dividend yields and spreads become very large between the dividends. Um, I mean, for instance, during the market sell off of January 2008, during the financial crisis, the dividend yield between the Russell 2000 value index and the S&P 500 um, which had averaged about 0.2, spiked to over 1%. Um, and over the next five years, the Russell 2000 value index outperformed the S&P 500 by over 50% Ouch. over the next five years. Yeah, so whenever those, whenever those dividend yields get really wide, um, you know, that tends to be a precursor to outperformance of one asset class or the other. And that pattern of small value beating um, you know, beating large, uh, you know, may be on the cusp of that again, because what we've seen as a result of this shutdown is the difference between the Russell 2000 value dividend yield now and the S&P 500 has soared to over 1.34%. Hmm. So it's, it's a very high, you know, difference between the dividends on those two asset classes. And so based on the experience of 2008 and other historic market events, those spreads of that kind of magnitude represent kind of a powerful signal that small value stocks have the ability to outperform during the recovery. Yeah, and of course, it, it could be different this time. No one no one knows for certain. Uh, there's certainly important differences between, you know, this pandemic and the great financial crisis in 2008, most notably the uh, 2008 market sell-off. It struck uh, indiscriminately across industries, uh, whereas the current crisis, the impact really has been uneven. If you look in large cap stocks, there are industries such as airlines, entertainment, and leisure that are really bearing the brunt. And uh, industries such as technology are maintaining and even seeing higher valuations. So given these differences, it makes sense that the subsequent recoveries could diverge as well, at least for large, large caps. So uh, again, you know, we're not trying to predict the future here, but, uh, you know, that's kind of what we're seeing. Yeah, that's right. And in small value stocks, you know, um, the uh, the sell-off that we had, the COVID-19 sell-off back in March, has been violent really across the board with virtually no dif differentiation between, you know, sectors. Um, and, I mean, in this way, you know, the situation today kind of mirrors that of the 2008 financial crisis almost perfectly. As a result, it's kind of reasonable to conclude that the recovery will also resemble that of this prior crisis. And small value could, again, you know, outperform um, large growth stocks as it has in the past. I mean, the opportunity for small value stocks relative to large cap stocks um, kind of comes as investors have flocked to large growth stocks here recently. Um, and largely, it's kind of a flight to safety after the sell-off that we just had. But now, you know, after the recent stock market rally, many analysts are uh, are kind of looking at this um, and, you know, seeing a lot of room for appreciation in, in small cap stocks. I mean, in contrast, um, 
you know, betting against the significant appreciation of small value would require you to believe that the spreads between small value and other asset classes will not revert to the historic means and small businesses will continue lagging the broader economy throughout the recovery. Um, the market's sending clear signals that small cap value appears to potentially be poised to outperform large equities um, and large stocks going forward. Investors who remain unconvinced, though, by this historic data and the fear of continuation of small values outperformance um, or underperformance, you know, they got to remember that Washington has made it clear that the federal government will support small businesses throughout the crisis, as they've done, and potentially even to a greater extent um, than any previous crisis. So I guess kind of the bottom line here, John, is, you know, I mean, there is a lot of room for for stocks to, to turn. And we see that throughout history. You know, there's no one asset class that continues to lead the market forever. Yep. And uh, we've had this amazing run for large growth stocks. Um, it's not going to last forever. And eventually yep. you're going to have a rotation. Right now, if you picked an asset class that was that seemed to be um, very undervalued or very beaten down, it would be small value stocks. Yeah, if you look at the P.E. ratio, price to earnings, I mean, that's what it, it points out. I mean, it's they're, they're significantly uh, less pricey than, than growth stocks. and But that's why you diversify, right? You want to own some of all these stocks in your portfolio because no one knows what the ne next you know best asset class is. And so that's diversification. Yeah, you don't want to invest by looking in the rearview mirror and chasing after what happened yesterday um, or last year or the previous five years. And, and today that's, you know, the outperformance of growth stocks. So, you know, don't chase those. Stay diversified. That's really the moral of the story here because, you know, the, there is change in the wind. So that's the story there. Anyway, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah. Should I delay a medical procedure in order to save more for retirement? Um no, I, w I mean, I do know that no, some people do that. <laughs> make sometimes make, make decisions on elective procedures or uh, at the end of the day, your health is more important than, than sure. investment. So certainly do not prioritize retirement or saving money over medical. You got to get got to get taken care of. If you don't have the money, I mean, you know, there are facilities that will help you and take care of you. Um, but don't don't prioritize money over your health. Yeah, there's there's not much more important than your health, right? And better health usually means better finances, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're in bad health, you tend to end up spending a lot of money on medical issues and everything else to compensate for your bad health. So you want to get in good health. I mean, don't don't prioritize, you know, your your savings over your health. So you got to get get, you know, get things taken care of. Um, that's what money is for. So good question of the week. And that leads us up here to uh, our next topic, and that's different ways of looking at risk. Yeah, so volatility is typically, um, you know, when people think about risk of the markets um, or risk in, you know, finances, it's volatility. And this this comes from Josh uh, Charlson from uh, Morningstar. And, you know, uh, volatility is one of the most common cited definitions of risk. Uh, it's usually depicted by the um, statistical concept of something called standard deviation, which essentially measures right. the range of uh, the fluctuation of investments return. So how truly relevant is volatility to an investor? Um, as uh, Howard Marks of Oak Tree Capital has written, I don't think most investors fear volatility. What they fear is the possibility of permanent loss. And 
you know, it's the, true. Yeah, the the fact is, is if you stay invested, the markets have have always recovered, right? So right. But volatility is one one risk. Um, another one is risk adjusted return, and that basically measures a step up from standard deviation, and it basically ranks the investments based on return history. And as an example, gold. For an example, has a very high standard deviation, as does the stock market. Right. But the market has returned more than gold, so uh, you know, stock market would be higher on a risk-adjusted return than what gold would be historically. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> so that's a good good thing to look at. Um, and we certainly look at that. And then, um, you know, another one here, and this is the one I think most people are concerned about, John, at the gut level, right? And that's downside risk. Um, it's another way to think about risk, you know, as an investment's propensity to lose. Since investors tend to be, you know, less concerned about volatility that works in their favor, they don't care about upside volatility. What they care about is the downside volatility. And you know, it's more about potential losses, you know, and loss aversion is kind of your prominent behavioral bias. So, yeah, people are concerned about the the downside potential, not the upside potential. Yeah, no one gets upset with the upside piece right, of it. So right. um, another type of risk <laughs> is non-normal risk. And um, uh, Morningstar's Canadian director, Paul Kaplan, has noted that market crashes um, have occurred more frequently than, uh, you know, people predict. And so the best, you know, tack for investors would be to mentally prepare, have a process in place, have a plan for the likelihood that large outlier events will occur periodically and, and build it into your plan. So, you know, when it happens, it, it's, it's not, a, the reasons are always different, but the, you know, the fact that it's going down is not. And so, I mean, I, I tell clients now the, the pandemic, the playbook has not been any different than what it was in 2008, right? Right. And certainly right. severe, <clears throat> but doing rebalancing and, and having a process in place, um, it, it doesn't change for these dips. You just got to build it into the process. Yeah, that's right. Another one here is valuation risk, John. And you don't hear about this talked about much in this way. Um, but the, you know, the measures of risk are all derived from investments past performance, right? And so valuation risk, you know, familiar to anyone who has ever, you know, referred to PE ratios as expensive um, in the stock market is more of kind of a forward-looking risk. You know, at its root, valuation risk means that you have, you know, you've paid more for an investment than its fundamental value or it's fundamentally worth. And, you know, that's the price that eventually will fall to meet that fundamental value. Um, that's the risk that it's going to fall and equal, equal that value. <clears throat> so it kind of relates to downside risk. Um, you know, if something is overvalued now, then potentially in the future, it's going to, it's going to revert back to that. And that's called valuation risk. Um, so, you know, and, and, you know, it also refers to kind of the broad markets being inflated with ex excessive exuberance, you know, like the tech bubbles and the real mm -hmm. estate bubble and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Another risk here is concentration risk. And uh, it's important risk for both individual funds and your overall portfolio. So diversification really is, is probably the most important tool for reducing risk. So a concentrated mutual fund that holds fewer securities, um, or if you have multiple holdings and they're all in one asset class, like large stocks, large growth, it can be risky because you have everything in one asset class. So you got to be careful that it's not over-concentrated in one, one asset class. Another risk is credit risk, and uh, this is really fixed income related. It really comes into play anytime you're investing in, in, in corporate or municipal bonds or other debt instruments. 
uh, backed by the credit of a company or entity. So credit risk is closely related to default risk uh, or the risk that the company may not be able to pay back its loan. So again, when you're investing in bonds, credit risk is something you want to take into account. Yeah, and this next one also applies to fixed income bonds, um, and that is interest rate risk. Bond prices generally move inversely in the opposite direction of interest rates, and they're going to lose value when interest rates rise. Um, that means that bonds or mutual funds holding longer-term bonds are exposed to greater interest rate risk than ones holding short-term bonds. So if you want to lower your risk in bonds, you want to be short-term, right, not long-term. So if you purchase individual bonds that line up with your investment horizon, um, short-term interest rate fluctuations really don't matter, but they do because the value will go up and down mm-hmm. when you see it on your statement. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a significant risk, and you need to pay attention to it. Yeah, another risk uh, that you don't hear about is liquidity risk, and that occurs when the sellers have a difficulty finding a buyer in a thinly traded market, um, leading to unfavorable pricing. So. There's some investment types uh, like private um, equity, private investments um, that are inherently less liquid, um, whereas other investments may be quite liquid under normal circumstances. But, you know, having your money liquid is important. And so that's a risk if you put it into certain products. Uh, you may not be able to get it out easily. So that's something you got to take into account. Another risk is called systematic risk, and it's a risk that investors bear for just being in the market, right? It's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 25% of the years historically have been negative. So if you build that into your plan and your your psyche when it happens, it's okay. It's part of the process. So that's uh, another type of risk. And then you have some risk for retirees. And Steve, this inflation risk is uh, really a big deal. Purchasing power risk is also yeah. a name for it. It's the risk that the growth of your investments will not keep up with inflation or the real cost of consumer goods. And, um, you know, inflation's certainly been low, but it won't be like that forever. And so, you know, people that put money in cash, there's no volatility risk in that, but there is inflation risk. That's right. Significant inflation risk. That's something that's important. Longevity risk is another risk that you may outlive your assets from a retiree standpoint. And then here's another one that a lot of people don't talk about. Sequence of returns risk is the uh, untimely drop in the market um, at the beginning of your retirement that could have an impact on your savings lasting long term. So, you know, these are a lot of risk out there, but, um, you know, kind of understanding some of them is important. Yeah, another one here is called correlation risk, you know, and um, that relates to diversification. I mean, diversification is, of course, one of the underpinnings of modern portfolio theory and academic research. Um, and it says, you know, correlations it kind of can be thought of as diversification's, you know, enemy, if you will. Um, you know, if all the asset classes you're investing are all the assets, they kind of act in concert and go up or down the, together. That's called high correlation, and that's a risk in your portfolio. I would just say, I mean, another thing related to this, though, is tracking risk, mm-hmm. John. And that is people get in their mind that their portfolio should track some benchmark like the S&P 500, for instance, or the Dow, right? And when it doesn't do that, that's a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so their portfolio looking different than than their their favorite benchmark that they see on the evening news, 
That's called tracking risk. Yeah, that's a good one. You added, you added to this. Added one. Added risk. Nice. Thank you. And the last one here is the actually just the risk of not meeting the goals, and this is probably the most important one because it it encompasses all the risks that we just talked about. So, from a goals based planning perspective, the risk of not meeting a a given goal is the most consequential, and all the other risks mentioned previously are, in a sense, really supporting players in reaching this goal. So. Again, when you, you know, market risk, volatility, we hear about, but there's a lot of other risks from inflation risk to liquidity risk to interest rate risk, um, you know, that you have to be aware of. And there's there's no free lunch out there. There's risk in everything that you have. Uh, if you're in real estate, I mean, you know, people aren't paying their, their bills right now. So um, you just got to understand the pros and the cons of what you're investing in and uh, then then plan around that. Yeah, absolutely. That was a good list. Good good review yeah. of all the risk out there that you need to pay attention to. All right. And that leads us up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, and I know we talk about this periodically, but rebalancing uh, is, is important uh, to take a look at. And you may want to check your portfolio, see if there's any adjustments that need to be done. I know uh, we, we do that quarterly for our clients. And Gosh, the the rebalance we did back in March, um, you know, that some was of the, huge. Yeah. yeah, some of the funds are up thirty to fifty percent. Um, you know, so those are that's kind of like free money by doing that. So, you know, it, it may be time to uh, rebalance some from your stocks back into bonds. There are some asset classes that have done well. So, take a look at it. Um, we don't know where the markets are going from here. We don't try to predict those kind of things, but rebalancing is a great tool. Uh, to use to get you back into the tolerance levels that you originally, you know, kind of signed up for, if you will. Yeah. I mean, if you look at your 401k and they don't have that set up automatically for you, then you need to go in and rebalance it back to your targets. And, you know, today that probably means you're going to be selling large growth and you're going to be buying small value. And as we just talked about, it may be time, you know, for that to happen because small value may, may outperform going forward. But either way, you want to go in you want to rebalance everything back to your risk level, back to your targets, so that you stay in the right risk level and you're poised to to, to gain and be diversified going forward. So, yeah, rebalance your portfolios. Take a look at that if it's not done automatically for you. Certainly a very important tool um, for your investments. Okay, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and send us your questions. You can link to us there, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.